Thank you. I love tulip flutes. Well, thank you to have you guys here today. Yeah, it's um, great. We're, we're uh, kicking off our tasting with the Shranford Buona Wall. So this is our 2015 vintage. Uh, this is the uh, really the first wine that we, we ever made was, was this wine. It wasn't the 2015, but it was the 1965. And it is uh, 100% Chardonnay. Uh, really the lightest in body of all the styles that we that we produce and um, quite crisp palate cleansing uh, tart uh, and that's natural uh, acidity that comes in the, the fruit uh, that we work with to make this wine uh, but uh, great to have you here today raise a glass cheers. cheers thank you so much for having us today and welcome to the 10th episode of Sip On This, the podcast that brings you into the wondrous world of wine country, both here and abroad. I'm Roger Chung, and I'd like to introduce my wonderful co-host, Janae Gaither. Janae, how are you this afternoon? I am so fantastic because today we are talking about my favorite thing in the world, bubbles. Bubbles. I'm excited too. We're podcasting from this beautiful barn environment. We're here in the Diamond Mountain AVA, American Viticultural Association region of uh, Napa Valley, just uh, outside of Calistoga, or is it in Calistoga or just outside of Calistoga? We are technically in the Diamond Mountain Appalachian, which is kind of above the Calistoga Appalachian, but uh, the Calistoga Appalachian surrounds the town of Calistoga at the north end of Napa Valley. And we are just south. If you were to drive down our hill, take a left on the uh, the highway, uh, drive three miles, you'd hit Calistoga. That's great. And who you have just heard from and who introduced the first uh, sparkling wine at the very top of the show is Hugh Davies, the owner of the beautiful Schramsberg Winery here in Napa Valley. Thank you so much for having us here uh, and being part of Sip on This. Hey, fantastic to have you guys here. We're going to have a, a delicious tasting. I am super excited to hang out with you again because the last time I really hung out with you was on my first trip to Napa in 2011 for Camp Schramsberg, where I met you and Matt, your amazing um, director of marketing. So it's so wonderful to hang out with you again. Um, but we want to start off talking to you about your background and okay. about your winemaking background, how you became became a winemaker. Also talk to us about the history of this place, which is one of Napa's oldest wineries. So in, uh, I was born in 1965. My parents had just moved here from Southern California. Uh, they uh, uh, were both grown up in Southern California. They actually met in, the, in San Francisco in 1959. Uh, we get married in 1960 and uh, they, they came up with this idea that, that they wanted to make ultra premium sparkling wine uh, in the, this traditional method, uh, sometimes referred to as the method champenoise or the champagne method, if you will. Um, they, they would uh, find this particular property, uh, as we've described, up on Don Mountain, just south of, of, of uh, Calistoga. The property is home to a pretty extraordinary network of caves, uh, many of which were dug in the, the late 1800s, actually. Uh, and this property had an earlier uh, period of activity. So the original founders, frankly, the name, Shramsburg, 
or some would say Schransbeck, that would be the, a more of a German pronunciation, uh, dates back to that earlier era. And in 1862, one of the very first wineries in California was established right here on this property by German immigrants, uh, Jakob Schramm, Jacob Schramm, uh, his wife uh, Annie, and they would uh, uh, produce still wines at that time. The property had a, a really a, a interesting history of about 50 years of activity. But then Prohibition came along, mm -hmm. wiped the industry out, and then very slowly this Napa Sonoma wine industry, this California wine industry, would, um, would, would, would be born again. And then from a, a really more premium standpoint, you know, consider there, there are many wines, but you know, that focus that, 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 that began again in Napa to, to make really extraordinary wines, um, my parents became part of that, that wave. They didn't want to just make sparkling wine. They wanted to make sparkling wine that would rival the best made anywhere in the world. Mm. Mm. Uh, you think of the Champagne District in France. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, absolutely. We haven't done it. This is my parents in, in 1964, you know, but we're going to, we're going to make a sparkling wine in California that would absolutely rival the best made in Champagne or anywhere else in the world. And so they, they set out on this track. And so I'm very fortunate to now represent a second generation, continue on with the, with the, with the family owned winery business here in Napa. Um, we've expanded a little bit. We've added some red still wines to the mix, and there we're using our, our family name, Davies. Mm -hmm. And there's a second facility in St. Helena where we make our, our Pinot Noir and Cabernet red wines. As you were describing your origins here, you mentioned champagne and you mentioned sparkling wine. What's the difference? Well, sparkling wine is the broader category. You know, I guess, you know, if, if there was a definition in the dictionary, I would suggest that it just say wine that has bubbles in it. <laughs> sparkling uh, but there are lots of versions of sparkling wine uh, we're making some very premium bottle fermented sparkling wines that get aged frankly we'll, we'll taste one here at this tasting that's a 2000 vintage right mm. we just released it mm -hmm. oh that's 18 years old yeah right yeah, some of the sparkling wines can be 18 years old crazy now uh, champagne is a specific area they actually make a lot of sparkling wine in champagne but it's a region and, and it's a region famous for its, its sparkling wines. It is near Paris, uh, so in France, uh, a little bit north and, and uh, east of Paris. Um, and that's a region that really supplies a lot of beautiful sparkling wines to the entire world. And so it is known as Champagne. The, the sparkling wines that would be made from that area are known as Champagne. And to some degree, the rest of the world is just uh, use that name as kind of a, a term for sparkling wine, but it, it, it's, it's technically not a term for all sparkling wines. It's just a place in France. How many places in the Napa Sonoma area make sparkling wine? It's a good question. The, the number is the number of sparkling wine producers in the Napa Sonoma uh, area is growing. Uh, presently, there's a growing demand for sparkling wine, frankly, in, in the country, globally. It's a good thing. Um, producers that are commercially available, that are making larger quantities, honestly, it's probably about 10. But there are many other wineries now producing small quantities that are really available just to kind of their direct consumer fan base. The, the process of making these bottle fermented sparkling wines, frankly, is somewhat cumbersome and requires specialized equipment. You said that the champagne method is really, really laborious. So can you walk us through the steps required to make champagne and or sparkling wine? 
in the traditional method champenoise. In a nutshell, uh, in making uh, a, a traditional method sparkling wine, you initially will make a, a wine. And, I, and I'll preface that the wine that you'll initially make typically will be quite lean and tart, made from grapes picked uh, earlier in the season uh, that aren't fully mature. And the alcohol, frankly, in, the, in that initial wine is pretty low, mm-hmm. all right? So you've got this low alcohol, very tart wine. To that, you add a little bit of yeast and sugar. Uh, you then bottle that. So typically in the, the, the harvest happens in the fall, Bottlings can happen the, the following spring. And then inside of that bottle, the, the yeast that you've added will do a very small fermentation inside the bottle, increasing the alcohol by 1% only, but leaving effervescence, bubbles, sparkle inside the bottle. And so from that point, typically uh, that fermentation, that, that small fermentation takes place in about a month. Uh, most bottle fermented sparkling wines will age somewhere from two to three years in the bottle, in contact with yeast, kind of cool, beyond that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but it could go, hey, 20 years. You know, it could go, you know, that would be on, on a very small scale. And so then we need to uh, remove the yeast from the bottle, and that's done through uh, a period of riddling where we turn the bottles to get the yeast to move down into the neck. We then freeze the neck, creating an ice plug, and now we can turn the bottles right side up. The pressure built up in the bottle will expel the ice plug containing the yeast. And then there's a final uh, liqueur, if you will, we call it a, a dosage, uh, that is added that balance the really tart acidity that's uh, naturally in these wines. And then the court goes in and, and from there, typically we would wait about six months and then start selling a bottle. So you you currently see bottles of Schramsberg that are in the marketplace that are three, four years old, um, but on a higher scale, smaller quantities, the next wine we're gonna taste will be our 2009 J Shram. So oh. this one, hey, we're getting close to 10 years old wow. uh, with, with this style and uh, beautiful. The, the aging process, very, very slow, mm-hmm. very, very, it's a, it's a delicate process. Uh, and uh, uh, it can deliver some extraordinary flavors, particularly if you start out with 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 a beautiful tart lean you know wine that that's ready for longer term aging. Back to the 2015 block to block. Yep. When the sparkling wine was poured, obviously it filled up the glass with its bubbles. I'm looking at a beautiful light golden color in this. Tell us with your excellent palate, what's the proper method for drinking sparkling wine? I think sometimes we 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 might overplay mm-hmm. you know how we have to serve it to be mm-hmm. exactly perfect mm-hmm. the wines i mean again i'll reference ours and but a really premium sparkling wines they're pretty delicious right yeah. and, and so uh it's kind of hard to screw up the, the wine <laughs> but i do i mean we're presenting here the temperature hey yeah i i, I typically pull out a refrigerator on a winter day not as critical summer day yeah we we want to, we want refreshment. 
And so I, I do believe having a nice chill on the on the bottle is, is a good idea for refrigerator temperature. Um, it will warm up in the glass. So let's start cold. Let's, let's go. start pretty cold. Mm. Uh, then we go from there. I do like the glass. Like here we have a, a glass. It, it has a nice rounded uh, nature to it. This particular glass has a nice little point to the bottom, which is, is beautiful. And, and I, I think for the presentation, is great, but I recognize not everyone's gonna have this glass. Mm -hmm. It's okay, you know, it could just be a wine glass. Mm -hmm. Literally, uh, you know, sometimes we'll refer to the AP glass, the all-purpose wine glass. It's okay. Uh, and uh, and honestly, you can really enjoy the, the sparkling wine there too. Sometimes, I think with sparkling, we get so preoccupied with the visual. It's supposed to look a certain way, right? Mm -hmm that we forget about. No, there are beautiful aromas and flavors. Yes. So right. let's not forget about that. And so I, I, back to, I don't want to overplay the presentation because that could actually kill our, our thinking about the, the, the flavor and the aroma of, of the wine. And that, at, at the end of the day, that, that's what we, as winemakers, that's what we're focused on. That's right. great. Well, I see little bubbles emanating from the bottom of the glass to the top. Uh, Janae, you've already sampled it. What, what, give me your first impression on the first the aroma and then tell me what you tasted. Well, the nose was really, really lovely. Mm. Um, it was interesting because immediately on the nose, I got um, this kind of, uh, th this hint of, of chev cheese, like some goat cheese and, and a little bit of like butterscotch and caramel and a little bit of banana as well. So it's a really kind of layered, um, layered bouquet, which I absolutely love. And then on the palate, I got um, some some leanness. I got some a, a little bit of salinity too, mm -hmm. some brininess that I absolutely love. Um, but then again, I also got some banana and tropical fruit flavors. So again, very layered, very complex, and kind of just surprising in a lot of ways. This, I mean, this is definitely a, a brute style. I, I would describe it as, as a dry, uh, sparkling wine. This is great. Well, the Blanc de Blanc is 100% Chardonnay. That's yep. the 2015 Blanc de Blanc that we just tasted. Yep. And right next to that is another glass, which as you mentioned earlier, is your 2009 J. Schramm. Correct. And so this one is 86% Chardonnay and 14% Pinot Noir. Correct. So the J. Schramm, in our minds, is our best Blanc style. All right. It's not 100% Chardonnay, but it's always heavily uh, focused on Chardonnay. A little bit of Pinot Noir gives some, some additional depth. Um, but back to the fruit that we described, ah, it's this pineapple. Sometimes I get even a, you know that essence of grapefruit, citrus zest uh, on, on the, the, the aromas and the flavors. And, and so that more reflective of Chardonnay, certainly than Pinot Noir. And the Pinot Noir gives a little, at 14 percent that's just a little little kiss and it's not Pinot Noir that maybe most would think of in terms of a red wine that's more like a 14 percent alcohol Pinot Noir no this would be a white wine made from the red grape mm -hmm. uh, gently pressed only the free run juice it's about 11 percent alcohol I know that's a lot to absorb but it's just that Pinot Noir so it's it's like a little kiss of a uh, uh, a less ripe Pinot Noir than the world is probably generally thinking of with regards to that varietal. But it gives a little extra dimension that we like in this one. As we do the full tasting, we're going to taste our Blanc Noir when we get to that point that is made from the Pinot Noir grape. So there's mm. a white wine made from P 
Pinot Noir, not from Chardonnay. That's and, great. And a, a, a completely different direction, right, as you would expect. Um, I am noticing something between the 2015 Blanc de Blancs we just had yep. and the 2009 Jay Schramm, which we're having right now. The color. That's right. It is different. It is a deeper, uh, a more deep golden color. As wines age, white wines, they gain color. Red the, wines, they lose color, correct? The, great observation. So the, the, the red wine will go there first as, 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 to finish your thought there. The red wine starts with this beautiful, vibrant, you know, more violet, you know, uh, color. But over the course of time, age degrades things a little bit. And then as that, that color breaks down, it moves into a, typically a, a lighter direction. Uh, the, you know, sometimes referred to the brick nature, uh, you know, the, the, the red brick nature of, a, of an older red, uh, particularly as you look at on the, on the edge of the glass uh, and that vibrant purple, if you will, that, you know, you really notice it in the, in the fermenter, you know, you know, a week after the grapes have been picked, you know, as we really start to extract, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Uh, now with white wine, the exact, it's, it's different. And the impact of oxygen is with this more delicate whitish color is to give it just a, a little bit of a gold color. So, the, you know, the, the, the straw, you know, sometimes we'll describe the Blanc de Blanc as a little more of a yellow straw, whereas the, uh, the J-Shram, all right, 10 years old versus what, four years old as we look at them today, uh, has more of that uh, yellow gold color. So Janae, you talked about the color. Uh, what th now? This has a quite a different aroma and quite a different bouquet than the uh, 2015 Blanc de Blanc. What are you pulling out of it? Well, mm. immediately because of the fact that it's older, I'm getting more you know of those secondary and tertiary flavors. So mm. um, it's still fresh, but it doesn't have that uh, super kind of very crisp acidity that I got with the 2015. Mm -hmm. It's seeming to soften a little bit and there's more creaminess coming that kind of masks the acidity. Um, so I'm getting that kind of texture immediately. Um, and a lot of the same things I was getting with the 2015. So I'm getting some of that kind of like glazed, like almost a demi-gloss in the glass. Um, I'm also getting some Granny Smith apple. I'm getting some banana as well. So tropical fruits, but also kind of that kind of glazed, savory characteristic as well that I think is really, really cool. There are fruitful elements that we that we can describe in, in, in the wine. Uh, the, the Blanc de Blanc, the first one, a little bit more of the fresh apple and, and crisp tart citrus. And then, ooh, that gets to be more of a glazed citrus and a baked apple type of character as, as you go to the, the J-Shram. But there are these secondary and tertiary characters that are not necessarily fruit derived, you know, that are also present. I remember with the J-Shram glass two here, this had spent, uh, what, eight years in contact with yeast inside of a bottle. And so where there's in, in uh, you know, handcrafted bottle from a sparkling wine, there's there's always an element of, of yeast and with a young wine, there's kind of that fresh dough a little bit. And, uh, but as you, as you age and season, ah, you know, the, the, the more the baked breads, you know, uh, you know, you, you referenced, uh, uh, you know, the chef, but there's almost like a little bit of that, that rindiness, you know, from a, from a, uh, 
uh, an interesting aged cheese, you know, that it's, it hints you don't want the wine to sing only of that note, but to have this beautiful, uh, uh, almost arrangement of, of these different characters. It's pretty cool. So we just tasted the 2009 J-Shram, and now we have the 2000 J-Shram late disgorged. Can you describe that to us? So this one is, is the 2009 J-Shram is pretty darn unique. You know, it'd be a hard one to find out there in the marketplace a little bit. Uh, we, we definitely gained a little uh, distribution and recognition for, for that effort too. This late disgorged version of the J-Shram is, is kind of the, the super special select. Uh, about 250 cases only were mm. released of this wine, whereas the 2009 J-Shram would have been a little more than 2,000 cases, all right? And so, uh, and when I talk cases, we're talking 12 bottle cases. The, uh, but this is fun. So here, here's, here's the 2000 J Shram, frankly, that we would have sold, uh, you know, 10 plus years ago in its current moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but we kept a small number of the bottles aside in the cave, left them there in contact with their yeast to develop more, uh, one of, this would be an interesting uh, new word perhaps for some, uh, autolytic character. So the autolysis is the notion of yeast gradually lysing, uh, auto-lysing. Lysing is breaking down. Mm -hmm. So the yeast is breaking down in the solution, gradually imparting a little bit of its character into the wine. Well, over 17 years, that's maybe, you know, that's, that's a, a very long time mm -hmm. uh, to, to impart character. And so you'll get some really interesting uh, richness and and I I'll refer to seasoned depth. You know, there there's more of a there's certainly the expression of the apples and the citrus and now but those those are very baked and 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 developed. Um, you know, certainly a little bit of custard and brulee is present um, that comes from from age. But really, really, really pretty characters. I, I sometimes think of a little bit of like a seasoned salt. You know, there's a there 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 are some of these uh, spice notes that. That are uh, subtle, hopefully not just overwhelmingly dominant, that give uh, that initial fruit like some really interesting character. I often think of the, this whole process of making these wines as a bit like making pastries. You know, mm -hmm. mm. I'm not a, a pastry chef, but I, uh, if I were to to aspire to be you know, making some of the most delicious pastries found anywhere, uh, they uh, the, those characters would would take some time to develop, and right. so it, it's fun to consider that here with a wine that actually just released effectively, and it's uh, what 18 years old. Wow, 18 years old. That's great. So this one is, as you said, it is a very special bottle because mm. it is late disgorged mm -hmm. or LD, mm -hmm. and that is something that, um, like an an acronym that some of our listeners might have seen on sparkling wine bottles out um, in the market. So can you actually describe what late disgorged means? We've taken the J Shram that we, we we bottled in 2000, and we've taken just a little bit of what we bottled all those years ago and left it longer in contact with yeast in its bottle in the cave, and then did a late disgorging of it, meaning uh, another like 10 years of age on top of the eight that we did to begin with. So that's that term, uh, and you will see it used a little bit. Uh, sometimes there's a notion of an RD, which would be more recently disgorged, sometimes synonymous, you know, it can be. There's no rule that says that to use the LD or RD term, you've got to be a certain 
distance and time of aging, but typically it's you know ten you know ten plus years I would say, uh, and so pretty cool to do this one where you know it's seventeen plus years. Mm, mm-hmm. I can't take my nose out of this glass. I haven't yeah. even tasted this this sparkling yet, but the the aroma bouquet is delectable. You know what it reminds me of is when and, and you described it earlier as you're baking the pastry elements when you walk into a house and you just smell the aroma of of a fresh baked pie coming from the kitchen that's what you have here in a glass and you tasted it janae what do you get out of this well because we are talking about 18 years of age here those kind of briochey toasty notes are really really starting to show and like show prominently they are featuring featured prominently here um and i absolutely love that but there's The biggest thing I get from this wine is the texture. Yeah. Um, That is the thing that jumps out at me immediately. It is soft and it is creamy. Again, we recently talked about uh, the fact that, you know, something that's younger, um, you get more of that kind of crisp acidity. Mm -hmm. And as it ages, in my opinion, it's, it's softening. And so I don't get that same, it's, it's, it's still champagne. So it still has that acidity but it, it's it's no longer an attack on your palate right. like younger wines um, can be. It's very soft, it's very creamy, and it is, again, I uh, keep saying the same refrain, um, just really beautifully layered and beautifully complex because I do get those kind of toasty brioche notes, but I get that caramel and cream as well. And I think that is just, it's, it's lovely to drink. I get more not like qualities out of this just because I think it's got that older, uh, more contact with the, with the yeast fermentation with it, uh, that toasty, nutty kind of characteristics, which I think is very elegant uh, and mature. It can distinguish the difference between a younger sparkling and a more mature sparkling. The younger sparkling, as you described uh, earlier, was more brute, more effervescence, more sharp, more acidic, I think, in the mouth. But still lovely. But still lovely, but what you expect out of a champagne fresh off the bottle. This one is more elegant in style, and I think it's, it's delectable. I really do. It's pretty cool. This is, and this would be really hard to find. I mean, the, the reality is that there, most of us probably don't taste uh, bottles of sparkling wine that were aged for 17 years with or without these, you know, inside the bottle. And so uh, exciting to show this to you. And it's fun and exciting. Let me ask you this question. Are there occasions for certain types of uh, sparkling wines? You, you, we tasted three Chardonnay-based sparkling wines, some younger, some more mature. Tell me who you are. Tell me when you would pull out the 2015, and when will you pull out the 2000? Great question. Good question. So the 2015 gets popped a little bit more often. Right. It, you know, so this is going to be, uh, you know, suggested retail around forty dollars a bottle. You might find it for thirty some dollars. Right. It's more accessible. It's also more available. The Transfer Blanc de Blanc. You, you can find that one. Uh, maybe not so much in France. Mm-hmm. Little bit. You know, uh, uh, but certainly in California and throughout the United States, you're going to find the Transfer Blanc de Blanc. So there's that. But it's 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 young. It's it's refreshing. It's palate cleansing. I love that wine as the the, the the first first taste of the evening. 
it's it's crisp, it's dry, it's 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 bright, it's refreshing, uh, frankly beautiful. With you know, to the extent people like oysters on the half shell, man, that's a great that's mm. a great wine for for that moment. But it can be uh, uh, you know tart, tangy cheeses, and maybe is an interesting counterpoint to uh, something that's more of a a, 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 a brie of some kind. You know, as you as you consider. Um, you know, I want to entertain, you know, some friends and have a bottle. I mean, it, it can also be the, the dried fruits and nuts, you know, it, it mm. doesn't, doesn't have to be, you know, oysters on the half shell, right? That's right. Uh, it also goes well with French fries and potato chips and, you know, <laughs> things that are probably even more available. As you get to the J-Shram and the research, okay, I get it. They're more expensive. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So we probably aren't going to pop it all the time. Right. Uh, so there, those might be more special occasion in part because of the price tag, but they're rich and developed and, and they're worth, uh, paying a little attention to, which mm-hmm. sometimes you do when it's a special occasion. And so as I was thinking about the uh, boys, especially as I got to this, uh, late disgorge JSRAM, how about the potato chip? I'm still there. It's <laughs> <laughs> always the perfect little, at 11 o'clock at night. Some delicious creme fraiche on there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And maybe just a little caviar on yeah, top. Yeah, caviar on top. Uh-huh. Boom. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Not everyone's going to do that. It's not something that we can just go down to the grocery store and just, I'd like to try the, the 2000 J-Shram Late Discordion. Can you get me the caviar on the potato chip with the delicious creme fraiche? But that would taste really, really good. <laughs> it would, really. You're, hey, Matt, now I know up? what I'm doing at 11 o'clock tonight. We're do- there's no caviar here. I'm going to do the station without the caviar. Enjoy the breadstick, by the way. Yeah. Well, I should also tell people that I am such a sparkling wine fanatic that I normally have sparkling wine every morning at 8 a.m. Do you really? And sometimes champagne. Mm. So I'm not talking about a mimosa. I'm talking about full on just nothing but me and my bubbles and at 8 a.m. normally every morning. Well, then let me ask some you Some people have coffee. I have... Sh- Sparkling wine and champagne. Well, let me ask you this, and we might we might uh, consider hiring you. (laughs) We we need people like you uh, around. Yes. Well, let me. After the interview, we can talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this though: Not every morning you finish a bottle of sparkling wine. What do you do, and how do you preserve an open bottle of sparkling? Mm. I know. So, what can we do to preserve the bottle of sparkling? All right. Now. There are stoppers, right? Mm-hmm. And it may seem like that would be a hard thing to access. Actually, not so bad, right? I mean, if you in, in most wine shops, they'll they'll probably have a a, a a champagne bottle stopper. And forgive me, guys in France, for using that term, but we could also call it a sparkling wine bottle stopper if you like. Uh, sometimes it's called a bouchon. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a French term. But simply put, uh, a, a, a little. Uh, Quirk-sized a stopper placed at the top, and it typically will have a couple of clamps that will will fasten. You can picture the lip on the mouth of the bottle. The little metal clips will fasten under that 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 lip and hold the pressure inside the bottle. They work quite well. Um, if you've taken one or two glasses out of the bottle, put the stopper in the bottle, stick it in the fridge. You can come back a week later, and, and you're still you're still pretty sparkling. You're good to go. It won't be quite as sparkling as it was when you cracked it open. That's because you've removed some, and so now we get some oxygen inside the bottle. All right. If you've gone halfway down the bottle, and you put the stopper in, and you stick it back in the fridge, I, the next day you're gonna have lost half of the the bubbles because half 
the space in that bottle is now empty. Right. And so you're going to share the little effervescence between the empty part of the bottle and the part of the bottle that's still full. And so it's not that the stopper did a bad job. It's that, hey, you left it some room for the gas to go and hang out in the empty space of the bottle too. So the stopper can't help you there. There are, and this is getting pretty technical and I know most people aren't doing that, but you can insert via, uh, there's like this perlage system that, and frankly, they, there might be a wine shop that'll sell you one of those too, where you can then with a little gun, uh, squeeze a little CO2 gas into that headspace. All right, evacuating some of the oxygen, and then you reach a different equilibrium, uh, preserving more of the bubbles in the liquid itself. But uh, I think when you get about halfway done of the bottle, just might finish just, it. You might want to finish it. Just finish it. You don't have to, but you might. And what do I do when my bottle goes flat? I cook with it, and I always make a nice pot pie out of it. Ooh. Yeah. Now, I, I would say this 2000 Late Disgorge Take, take all the bubbles out, put it into a nice rounded, you know, burgundy glass. Mm -hmm. You might, you might enjoy, I mean, That's people, right. people enjoy aged Chablis, right? You know, oh, or, yeah. or beautifully aged California Chardonnay. Uh, same, same concept, similar concept. Mm -hmm. And there, there, there really is some extraordinary flavor and life in, in this old wine. So I, uh, Hey, stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. So we just tasted three magnificent Chardonnay-based sparkling wines, and we're now going to venture into the Pinot-based sparkling wines. Is that right? That is correct. So tell me the difference between the Chardonnay and the Pinot-based sparklings. Well, big difference. You got a different grape, right? That's so everybody, right. Yeah, hopefully everybody's on, on the same page. Chardonnay white grape. It's pretty ubiquitous in California. Uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of still wine Chardonnays produced. And then some sparkling wines made from Chardonnay as well. We've just talked about that. The Chardonnay tends to be a little more of the, the citrus and the green apple and you know maybe a little of that pineapple tropical essence as well in terms of the fruit. Um, tends to be very lively with this acidity. Tends to be a little bit more tart, frankly. You know, that Blanc de Blanc style. Now, Blanc Noir is the white wine Blanc of the noir, so blanc de noir, and the noir is the black grape. Mm -hmm. And so the black grape, all right, doesn't look black, but it, it looks red when we, we pick those grapes, and those are uh, Pinot grapes. And so Pinot Noir, uh, made into a sparkling wine, we process the same way. Hand-picked fruit, uh, picked, in, in our case, uh, relatively unripe, uh, more of a stone fruit essence of flavor, maybe, a little bit of the peach, the nectarine, Maybe a little orange citrus, not so much lemon and lime citrus. You know that that's more of the Chardonnay direction. And then typically, you you see as we look at the color, okay, a little more gold. Of mm -hmm. course, you know it, it's it's a different varietal, uh, but no skin contact at all in terms of the fermentation of the initial juice. So we're not making a red wine. Initially, the juice looks a little bit pink, mm -hmm. but over the course of time, as it as it becomes a wine. In, in the tanks and the barrels where we, we do our initial fermentation, you'll you'll uh, you'll make what what uh, might have a slight pink color or more of a little gold color. We then do the bottle fermentation, same way as we do with the the, the blanc styles, the blanc de blanc styles, and then a little bit of aging. We're tasting a 2014 uh, in terms of this blanc noir, showing a nice gold color. And then as as uh, as you feel it on the palate, definitely a little more weight, a little more viscosity. And also, sometimes the noir 
has its own tension. You know, it's not just from acidity, but there's a little degree of tannin that, you know, it's a red grape at the end of the day. So you, you get a little bit of a feel, just a slight grip. And some people really love that. I've found that, that the, the sommeliers uh, will often be quite intrigued with the, with the Blanc Noir. Mm-hmm. They sell more Blanc de Blanc, mm-hmm. uh, but they're intrigued by this notion of a Blanc Noir. And it is definitely a, a much smaller category in terms of what's out there in the marketplace. Um, most sparkling wines that are purchased will say Brut, right? Right. A Blanc de Blanc is a Brut, and you will see, definitely see more Blanc de Blanc today than ever before. And typically the Blanc de Blanc are made from Chardonnay or white grape. Uh, the Blanc Noir, you don't see quite as much. There are a couple of us that make some. They can come from Champagne. They can come from a transfer here in California. But typically the varietal there, at least for us, the varietal is Pinot Noir. In Champagne, there's a Pinot Meunier would be another mm-hmm. red skin varietal, but made into a white wine, thus the Blanc Noir. But yeah, give us a sense for what you guys think. This is a this is a pretty wine. In my, I love to show it because it is it is it is in its way quite quite unique in the marketplace. It's gorgeous and it's ninety percent Pinot Noir and ten percent Chardonnay. The color, I think, a lot lighter. Am I seeing that right in my light here? Well, if you if you look at the Blanc Blanc, you should get a little bit more of the straw, and you should get a little bit more. Even oh, look at that. There really is a very slight yeah. red. Reddish hint, but if you don't look at them side by side, you don't really notice, right? But hey, we use Pinot. That's it was a red grape. Uh, it's not. There's no skin contact during the fermentation of, which I think I mentioned, in making a rosé. And we're not going to taste one of our rosés today. But there, yeah, we've got to do. A, we've got to soak in contact with skins, or we've got to ferment in contact with skins. There's got to be a little extraction of color from the skins to get the pink color that's in, in, in our, our rosé or anybody's rosé. Um, but in making Blanc Noir, no, we want to have a little bit more delicate than that. And so it's, it's uh, exciting to give you guys a taste of this one. This is awesome. Uh, thus far, this is the most floral bouquet of the four wines, th- uh, of the four sparkling wines thus far. Yeah, I think it gives a little bit of that rose petal yeah, nature to it. That's right. Uh, sure. The um, but uh, to me, you also get a little bit of that peach, and even even the uh, you know mm-hmm. as, as delicate as it is, the 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 uh, the the the, um, the 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 skin of the peach, you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. little, little fuzzy uh, part of the peach, uh, and that that can be floral and fruitful at the same time. Yeah. Um, as you taste it, okay, now it doesn't taste like flowers anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's it's almost as if I've gone into that. Peach. I uh, the, the aromas reflect a little bit of the that that interesting floral nature of the skin of the peach. But now, as I taste it, oh, there's some juice in here, right? And yeah. it's tart and tangy, and it should be quite flavorful. And it's white peaches. And it's white peaches. It's white right. peaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. White peaches. It reminds me of that that youthful yet smart kid. That's how I would describe this one. Really? Right? Yeah. Um, it's got so much vibrancy to it in the mouth. It is uh, simply awesome. Wow. Let's go on to the 2009 Reserve, which is up next on the list. Nice. Uh, Ooh, love did you that hear that? Sound. Wow. Love that sound. 
It has 82% Pinot, 18% Chardonnay. You know, the difference between the two bottles, when we're looking at the Blanc de Noir and the Reserve, the Reserve bottle and your traditionally more darker green olive bottle with a gold foil around it, the Blanc de Noir, uh, more of like a pinkish, uh, younger bottle. Uh, describe the Nine Reserve for us. So the, the Reserve is, is, is effectively our, our very best Blanc Noir. Uh, as I described the uh, the the J Shram, I would I would describe it as our very best Blanc Blanc. So the J Shram and the Blanc Blanc, they go together. The Blanc Blanc we make in much larger quantities, uh, but before we make that blend. We, we go through all our Chardonnay lots to pick out the very best of, of the vintage to craft that particular style. Similarly, on this side, with these, these two Pinot uh, or Blanc Noir uh, sparkling wines, we're, uh, we know we're going to make the Blanc Noir in, in a larger quantity. But before we do that, we want to go through this exercise every year of uh, reviewing the 300 lots that we made. And, and frankly, the whole, in, in many ways, the whole purpose of making so many lots is to find 20 of them. Mm -hmm that really stand out. Maybe it's 30. And those we'll use to craft this this ultimate tier, this J-SRAM or, or reserve tier. So here, uh, we, we're looking just at the, the skimmed out best of, of the vintage on the uh, uh, the Pinot Noir front. Uh, color should be slightly darker, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more of that, that gold that's still, gold a, still a hint of, of that slight pink nature, you know, that, that reflective of the varietal, different than uh, uh, mm. uh, the Chardonnay. Um, let me ask you a question. The Stromsburg name, very popular here in Napa and Sonoma, known, very familiar nationwide, but uh, in the core center of our country, in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., very well-known name and served <laughs> frequently at the White House. Tell us a little bit about that. It's, uh, it's an interesting history that the brand has had uh, as it relates to you know, different you know, state functions, if you will. If you go back to 1972, and I get it, some of the listeners may, may not hit them around, aren't <laughs> Six years ago, right? All right. Uh, Richard Nixon was president, mm -hmm. and uh, he was from California. Mm -hmm. uh, there you go. We've had two presidents come from California. Smart presidents, as it turns out. Uh, because, well, Nixon, in his case, was the first to ever serve Schramsburg, you know, at, at a, an official state function. But in 72, Nixon went to China. He was the first American president to ever go to China. Uh, while president, and I think the listeners will recall, hey, the Vietnamese War was going on, and so the the, the Chinese were on one side and the Americans are on the other, uh, supporting you know the 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 the, uh, the the different sides of Vietnam, and there was a week long series of meetings. They were trying to figure out how do how do we you know kind of bring this to an end, bring bring some peace, maybe a little sanity to uh, to uh, to to the world, and uh, for us crazy and we didn't even know it until after it happened uh we had my parents had delivered 13 cases my dad would tell us of driving 13 cases to the travis air force base which is near sacramento um and uh there was the state department they needed 13 cases of transfer blanc de blanc at the time we only made a thousand cases mm -hmm. it's a pretty big order mm -hmm. um great we'll ship it you know we'll take it we'll drive it there and so they, they did and it was three weeks later that we found out why it had been uh, done. And anyhow, so that was the first of, 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 of these occasions. You know, we would find 
out effectively on uh, watching the TV show, a little known sparkling wine, as, as Barbara Walters would explain, the Shramsburg blank to blank mm-hmm. <laughs> had been served. And, and there she was in, in uh, Tiananmen Square in Beijing, China, wow. the Shramsburg blank to blank. Uh, and uh, so there you go, that that helped. But the wines have been served uh, a little bit by some of the subsequent, by each, actually, at least once by every president since. Most recently, actually, when uh, the, the president from France, uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron, mm-hmm. would visit with his wife, Brigitte, and, and uh, uh, President and First Lady Trump, they, they also served a, a Shramsburg on that occasion. Mm-hmm. So that was back in 2018. You know, I worked in the White House. I have a White House seal in my office, and I see that you also have the White House presidential seal here yeah. as well. I think it's really got to warm your heart and sing a little song to you <laughs> to know that that your sparkling wines have been used to toast at some of the most important diplomatic times of this nation's history. Oh, uh, we're we're happy to be there for the for the White House, right? <laughs> uh, and for anybody else, who, you know, it's got a moment, you know, where they it, you know, and so now we've got a few few different iterations, and you know, some are younger, some are older, some are Chardonnay, some are Pinot Noir, uh, and the, and a bit of that range has been served at different you know White House dinners over the years. Hmm. Well, it's a great family story. They you're gonna serve us two of your Davies wines, a Pinot Noir and a Cabernet. First off is gonna be uh, in the tasting sequence is gonna be your Pinot Noir. Tell us where these grapes are from. So the uh, the Davies Pinot there is the 2016 vintage uh, Farrington. So to the north of us uh, and a little closer to the coast itself, um, in Mendocino County, uh, the Anderson Valley, a little bit smaller than Napa, maybe a tenth the size in terms of the vineyard acres up there that we, we have here in Napa. And where Napa has, has quite a bit of Cabernet is, is kind of being our, our predominant varietal um, mm. up there in Anderson, it's Pinot. And I think it's about 90%, you know, we a lot of Pinot up there. And, and so this is a varietal that, that's done quite well in this coastal valley, uh, a little further north, again, a little further to the coast. There's more of that marine influence and Pinot is a uh, uh, an early ripening varietal. So in order for it to kind of achieve its its best focus and clarity as 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 a grape, a little more proximity to the cool air mm-hmm. gives it a slightly longer season. Uh, five different clones, you know, for, for those oh. uh, counting uh-huh. uh, of Pinot So Pinot has some variability within in, within the set. We have a nice little blend that we're making in a very small quantity. This is about 500 cases, that's it. 6,000 oh bottles are all that we produced of, of this particular wine. Uh, Asian barrel for about, uh, oh, 16 months. Neutral? And a good question. Uh, with this, about 30% of the barrels are new, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, you know, it's just over a year, so it's it's not too heavy in terms of new wood, but just a little bit, right? I smell young, but yet it's quite decadent because I'm getting a lot of that, uh, a lot of good uh, sediments in this. But what, as you describe coastal, uh, I get a lot of ocean air in this, which you don't is not a normal descriptor of wine. But I do smell a lot of great coastal influence into this, mm-hmm. Janae. You tasted this. What are you pulling out of it? Mm. I get a little, uh, just a hint of vanilla cream in this. Mm. Um, wow, yes. And I think it's mostly on the mid palate that I get it. And I get some kind of like tart, like Bing cherries on the nose mm-hmm. and and a little bit on, um, on the palate. But with Anderson Valley Pinot, I often get... Uh, 
blueberry pie. That's right. With a lot of Anderson Valley Pinot. Um, and that is a little bit of what I get here. Yeah, there's always a little bit of a salinity to Pinot Noir. It's it's mm-hmm. not uh, it's not as alcoholic as Cabernet might often be, or, or Syrahs often might be. You know, there there's a, a delicacy to the to the palate, and I think a certain polish. You know, the the tannins in Pinot are are much more graceful. There's actually a Davies Winery in Saint Helena oh, okay. uh, where, where we're producing the Davies Pinots and Cabernets, uh, the Davies Winery. Okay. Now. We're uh, jumping to the Cabernet, uh, and this will be, uh, I hate to say it, the last line of the tasting. I hate right? to say it too. Uh, but uh, this is J. Davies. So the, we talked about Davies Pinots. There's a Davies Winery. There, there are actually some other Davies Cabernets. But the J. Davies, you know, I emphasize the, the J, is the Estate Diamond Mountain Cabernet. So here on the property where the Stransburg Winery is, this old historic winery, uh, 157 years old, crazy to think now. Um, we we don't go Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and haven't since the early 90s as we came to really appreciate the level of quality we we're getting from these cooler sites here up in the hills we, we grow Cabernet and we're not the only ones right Diamond Mountain best known for its Cabernet my dad was Jack so the J stands for Jack Davies if you will and so the first red wine that we ever made actually was our J Davies Cabernet awesome. first vintage was 2001 here we're tasting a 2015 I believe a little bit of Malbec, uh, also incorporated into the blend, as you can see there. Uh, and then with that, um, a touch of the Petit Verdot Merlot uh, Cabernet Franc. The, the Malbec is uh, the principal secondary varietal, if you will. And we love the dark berry essence yes. that it brings. A little bit of the, a little more uh, uh, buoyant in, in terms of its uh, uh, blackberry essence. And, and frankly, the, the, the Malbec we pick slightly earlier in the season, a little less sugar, and it's already got this kind of dark berry essence that we like, and so it, it helps to tame the Cabernet. Cabernet definitely brings a structure, prominence, and then and then playing maybe the soprano role is, is a little bit of this Malbec. We say Cab is king, and we're used to some very bold, well-structured Cabernets. This one is quite unique. It's, it's quite lush. Um, is that because it's from the Diamond Mountain AVA here? What do you think, Janae, or, or what do you know? Well, uh, Matt Levy, who is the director of marketing for Schramsberg Vineyards and Winery, um, was talking to us in depth about um, about the Diamond Mountain AVA. And because it is a mountain AVA, oftentimes you get really kind of, you get kind of 3D fruit, but you also get some heavy tannic structure because there's more um, uh, skin to... Uh, pulp ratio. Um, so you often get more tannic flavors with, with, with mountain fruit. But, but Jamie Davies, um, Hugh Davies' mother, um, she wanted to use this amazing Diamond Mountain AVA, but at the same time produce a wine that was going to be silky and soft upon release versus something that was going to be ultra tannic and required years of aging before it softened. And I actually think that they completely, they nailed completely it on the head. nailed it. Yeah. It's, I, I've, I've never tasted something that's that young taste like it's been aged for an extended period of time. That luscious. Yeah. I really it's do think incredibly lush. That's the one adjective I want to use to describe this Cabernet. It's absolutely uh, luscious. It's I wonderful. It. Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. I have a question. Um, it, it's it's a kind of a wonderful way I think to end. Um, I'd love to ask this question of people: um, Is which wine? did it for you the one that made you speechless the one that was arresting and the one that had you gobsmacked fair question good question and i don't know if i have the exact answer there is one vintage of transburg uh that that um well there are a couple of vintages but i'd say the 99 the 99 that was an exciting year. That was the last year. I know that the 2000 was technically the last year of the last millennium, but somehow it felt like 99 going to 2000. All right, then, then the, the the world changed. But that just before the end of the year, right, our harvest happened, and 99 was a late year. It was a very cool year, and the city and some of the sparkling wines that we we made were higher than they had ever been before. And we were really pushing some of those cooler uh, sites that I've talked about, and and that was starting to emerge, and it just just felt like that was. Darn it, you know, it's like, we're, we're getting there. This, we are now, our ship, there's like, there's like a nice breeze blowing in our sail and we are cruising across this plane and, and we're, and, and, you know, we're, we're, we're on, we're up and away. Uh, I have to say that this was such an excellent wine tasting and I think I've fallen in love with a couple of these wines, especially the, the Blanc de Noir, which really stood out to me today, and your Cabernet, just so elegant and vibrant. Uh, it's a Cabernet unique to Napa, I really think, because it comes of it comes from the Diamond Mountain. I really did enjoy that. I know you can get a lot of the Strasbourg wines at, in the retail market, and so that's where I encourage our listeners to go if they're around the world, around the country, to go to the retail market and get the Strasbourg wine. If not, you can go to Strasbourg.com and get some of these great wines that we tasted today. And I have to say, this was an absolutely excellent tasting. I've always had so much respect for this winery, but each and every time I come here, I get even more respect for the winery. And especially when, you know, you get to sit down and talk with Hugh Davies to contextualize uh, the wine. And it makes it just, it makes the entire experience come to life. I second that. Absolutely. Hugh, this has been absolutely fantastic. And it was such a pleasure to meet you today and chat with you and spend a lot of time with you today. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your outstanding wines with all of us today here on Sifundus. And if you'd like to visit Schramsburg, they are in Calistoga on Diamond Mountain, um, right off 29 at 1400 Schramsburg Road, um, which is in Calistoga. And their phone number is 707-942-6668. And they are at schramsburg.com. S-C-H-R-A-M-S-B-E-R-G.com, where you can purchase wine, and also join the wine club and schedule a tour and tasting. And Schramsburg is open uh, for you from 9 until 4.30 p.m. What a great day. Absolutely. Oh, what great stories. What a great family to tell this wonderful story. Absolutely. This is wonderful. And you can listen and subscribe to Sip On This on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or anywhere where you get your podcasts. Hugh, thanks so much for being with us today. It was a real pleasure. This is wonderful. This is why Schramsburg is one of my favorite American sparkling houses. Until next time, live life peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Hugh. What a great time. Thank you, Janae and Roger. Awesome. You showed us a great time. I can't wait to come back here. I really can't.